This episode of Playback is brought to you by Warner Brothers Pictures. Crazy Rich Asians, the critically acclaimed surprise hit of the summer, is now one of the most buzzed-about films this award season. Critics everywhere agree Crazy Rich Asians is a phenomenon that has inspired and moved audiences and critics alike. Director John Chu redefined the romantic comedy genre with his thoroughly unexpected and genuinely relatable groundbreaking film. Entertainment Weekly calls Crazy Rich Asians hilarious, heartfelt, and historical. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone says Crazy Rich Asians is making history. And Jake Coyle of the Associated Press says, Hollywood, this is what you've been missing. Crazy Rich Asians, for your consideration in all categories, including Best Picture, now available on DVD and Blu-ray. You're listening to Playback, a Variety iHeartRadio podcast. I'm your host, Variety Awards editor Chris Tapley. This week we're catching up with Bradley Cooper, the writer, director, star, producer, you name it, of A Star is Born, one of the most popular films of the year, closing in on $200 million here in the States. We dive into the craft of the film and his inspirations in making it, as well as conjuring the songs, working on that Sam Elliott voice, and a whole lot more. So sit tight. This is Playback. Fresh air and now playback. <laughs> How long was that? Hour and 40 minutes. Oh, man. I hope you're not tapped out. Well, you'll be the judge of that. <laughs> we'll see. He's going to pop up. This feels like some quick. sort of weird like card game or something. Yeah, or like, yeah. We're like playing some sort of like test <laughs> with all the cars. This is such an interesting... Is this where you always do it? That's where I, we always do it, yeah. How many years? Uh, just past two. Well, how many have you done? About 96, 97. Wow. Yeah. Top, we should, we should be at 100 three. before the end of the year. Top three. Oh, man. Christian was good. Christian uh, Bale. Yeah. I did him for Hostiles last year. Oh, man. I loved him in that movie. Yeah. He was so good. In that movie. Well, Scretta and Sersha last year were oh, yeah. delightful. I love that movie. Naturally. I voted for that movie. Yeah? I thought oh, that was, was great. Movie. I love that movie. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate I it. I really, I think that's like a perfect film. Isn't it? It, it is. I yeah. saw it in Telluride. It is a perfect Which movie. Was... Every frame of that film, every character, every word, it's such a beautiful construction. Totally. Oh, she crushed that. I thought the screenplay was incredible. She's such a natural. Like, Oof. Just... Let's get this directional mic so you're going to be perfect like that. And we're already up and running. Okay. Let's dive in. All right, everyone. I'm here with uh, Bradley Cooper, the writer. Let's see. Hang on. Writer, director, producer, star. Co-writer. Co-writer. Songwriter. (laughs) Multi-hyphenate of uh, A Star is Born, one of the best movies of the year. Thank you. Thank you you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Uh, I loved the movie. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. And I have to tell you, I went in very skeptical because I haven't really taken to the story over the ages. And I actually thought you fixed a number of the things, and I'll get to it, that have, have bothered me along the way. Um, but, yeah, I went in with, like, a show-me attitude, and mm. I thought you nailed this. So first, off the top, I just want to say congratulations. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And people seem to dig it. I mean, you're cruising toward $200 million here uh, in the States and, like, 350 plus worldwide. I mean, it's this big phenomenon. I mean, first of all, 
knowing that it's having this impact, how does that make you feel as a first-time director and you didn't know how the souffle yeah, would relief. turn out, if you will? Yeah. Absolute relief. Yeah, yeah. total uh, relief. Is the you know it's funny I'm gonna take my jacket up just because it sounds like I'm in a uh, I'm like on a parachute. <laughs> that reminds me. I'm a quick anecdote. My sound editor in film school told me the story of Rudger Hauer coming in to do looping with all leather. Wow! <laughs> so it just ruined it all. <laughs> anyway, I always That's think about funny. that when people and like the Elvis '68 suit. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's but how yeah, I want to really... picture Rutger Howard, though. Right. That's kind of uh, yeah. I want to picture that. Yeah. Decked out, That's black it. leather. Comes yeah. in, takes his motorcycle helmet off, ready to do some looping. Uh, but you were Roy relieved. Batty. Is that his character's name in Blade Runner? Yeah. He what a, what a, one of my favorite characters in all films. It's fantastic. Oh my gosh! Isn't he incredible yeah, in that yeah. movie? It makes you feel alive in that I whole... want more life. <laughs> so good. Yeah. I just got the 4K of that. I just really? got a 4K TV. So that, oh, that yeah. was the one I wanted to test it out on. Yeah. There's a version. There's an example of a movie where the director's cut is the only version of the movie I ever watch. Oh, yeah? I don't even watch the one with the voiceover anymore. Do yeah. you? To- no, because it's cheesy. I, I mean, that's the first. That was my introduction to it. It was the yeah. first time I saw it, and I loved it back then. Yeah. Um, but once I saw the the, the director's cut, I, I, that's just the movie. I've erased the other one from my brain. Right. It's, it's really interesting. And the unicorn thing is beautiful. So oh, it's beautiful. It's like, yeah. And just ending on the on the elevator. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. No car ride. You know, footage from The Shining. Isn't mm-hmm. that what he used or mm-hmm. something? Something Some crazy like that. Yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. But you're relieved. So, you know, uh, when you – I guess Venice was the first big reveal. So Yeah, it was. The, that was it. When you were sitting down, I mean, just what, what, what did that feel like knowing that you were about to come? I was of- terrified that day. I remember thinking I couldn't believe how um, – how nervous I was, but I was like, wow, my stomach started turning and I thought, oh my gosh, I was terrified. I was finally, for for a couple reasons. One, I thought, oh my, you know, just the normal thing of, am I going to get laughed at? Are people going to walk out? Like, what's the worst case scenario? Mm -hmm. Like people literally just start leaving the theater during Mm -hmm. the movie. And the other one was, gosh, please don't lose this feeling of this overwhelming feeling of fulfillment that I have of this project because it was the exact movie I wanted to make. And that's why I'm here as a, as a person. I, I, I'm so lucky that I know what I want to do with my time. Yeah. And, um, and please don't let people saying that it's not good, uh, affect your, your deep sense of this is what you're supposed to be doing and to keep doing it. Yeah. And I remember being very conscious of that. Like, no matter what happens inside that theater as we're in this surreal boat with it pouring rain, which I was so happy it was raining. Um, <laughs> uh, just don't let whatever happens affect what you know to be true, basically, mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. what your road is right now. Yeah. And there was like a technical glitch too. Yeah, right? for twenty minutes it went out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is really fascinating. <laughs> <I bet. laughs> and the truth is, that once once the movie started again, the, during the twenty minutes, it was I thought it was actually some cool, like you know, human experiment where you're all these people are. You realize like, oh, there's all these people in this room, and we're yeah. just waiting. Yeah. And then, so I, actually, I I thought it was kind of you know, life on life's terms. I found it interesting. And and <laughs> but then when the movie started, I have to say it was excruciating to sit through because it's not. Not the same movie uh, that I made that they saw because the rhythm's completely different. Mm, yeah. You know, it's almost if like you're playing yeah. a song. I play a song for you, and I stop after the first verse for 20 minutes, yeah. and then I play the rest of the song. The rhythm of the song has changed. Yeah. So the rhythms that we spent months and months creating this one musical element of the movie, which is one musical element, was altered that, yeah. that day. So yeah. that that was um, that was hard to sit through. I really had a hard time sitting through it. 
Interesting. Well, uh, what kind of projects were you looking for to make the jump into directing? Like, and, and why was this the one? I mean, this was a project that they've been trying to make again for a long time. You came in and put your spin on it. But what made this one the one, and what were you looking for? I wasn't looking for other projects and then found this one. It was I wanted to make a movie. Or I wanted to explore cinematically certain themes that I knew that I could t- talk about from a real place. Because there's no reason for me to make a movie or try to, to, to ask you for two hours of your time and show you something visually, sonically, uh, if I don't have a reason to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to deal, I wanted to really tell a love story. I wanted to tell a love story between two people who actually love each other and there's no infidelity and still how hard it is. I wanted to tell a story about... Uh, what it's like growing up and dealing with your childhood and things that occur and then how does that influence who you become as as an adult. I wanted to examine things about finding your voice in this life. And A Star is Born was the perfect sandbox paradigm PlayStation to to examine all those things because the, 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 the thing that would prevent me from being inauthentic is that these two characters sing and you can't fake it when you sing. It's impossible. Mm. Um, Because your voice is the first thing that goes if you're not connected to your yourself because your breathing changes, you start talking from here, and everything's gone. So I love the idea that these two characters are expressing them, themselves through singing. And it's so it's, I'm, I know I'm going to have a beeline right to their soul. Yeah. Uh, and it also lends itself to being cinematic. So as mm-hmm. opposed to them being two people in other professions or in another world but the same story, how do I make it cinematic? Well, they're both musicians, and, mm-hmm. I, and so we could play with that cinematically. Yeah. How about uh, just influence-wise? Uh, I'm curious if you know you've had a, a long tenure as an actor. Are you more influenced by the collaborations you've had with directors as an actor, or are you more influenced by the films you watched growing up and the aesthetics that appealed to you and things like that? I don't think I could quantify either one. I mean, it's it's all part of the same the same uh, pool of inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not one thing uh, that trumps the other. Certainly, uh, you know, the majority of my life is observing by watching other films. It's only the last two decades that I've been able to collaborate uh, with filmmakers. Um, so it's it's both, you know. Mm. It's but I mean, a life lessons the short by Martin Scorsese heavily influenced uh, this movie for me. Um, even um, even parts of Hotel Chevalier, you know that uh, mm. short which I love, that Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson short. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. Um, not how he shot it though, because it's very different. But but more life lessons, the forty eight frames moments, uh, you know. Piecing out the tactile uh, occurrences that was totally influenced by Martin Scorsese in that mm-hmm. short, um, and then working with David O. Russell and Todd Phillips and Clint Eastwood definitely uh, influenced how I uh, how I talk to actors or you know think about the rhythm of a set, um, uh, and then just you know being on sets for so many years and and I've always had a curiosity, uh, intense curiosity about this process because of a love of film of watching them since I was a kid. So mm-hmm. I'm just. I just I'd love that I can be a part of the creation of a world that you can then be exposed to for two hours and a story being told in that world. That to me is like to be able to provide that and create that and explore that is is so fun. It's like endlessly fun to me. Yeah. Well, beginning with the page here, uh, Eric Roth is actually a buddy, but I'm curious, like, did he write something first and then you guys came in and, and, and wrote more or like how, how did the project exist when you came to it and then. How did you feel like it needed to shift? The product came... Will Fetters had written this screenplay that Clint Eastwood was going to do, and that was the one that I read years before uh, when Clint Eastwood talked to me about playing the male character. 
Um, and then when I went back and had a take on it, uh, and I asked Warner Brothers if they would allow me to rewrite the whole thing, page one rewrite. I just want to totally go at it a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, and I'd love to work with Will if he wants to do that, and we could do it together. So we, we started doing that together. He came to London. I was doing The Elephant Man, and we started writing there. And then we wrote we, we wrote a couple, a couple many drafts, and then it got and, and I like to hear them read out loud, uh, not me acting in them. Just I really feel like that really helps. Uh, and um, and I just felt like it got to a point, and I I'm trying to think how I met. Her. I think Greg Silverman, who was at Warner Brothers at the time, was uh, a huge advocate of Eric Roth, and mm-hmm. obviously I uh, he's a great writer and has, has written great screenplays. And I and I said, can I just talk to him about this movie? So I went to um, and I showed him the screen test. I think that I had that I wrote and shot and to show Warner Brothers to get it greenlit, mm-hmm. not even get it green. The idea of her and I together, and I said, w- I'd like to, sp- I'd like to. Almost, Will and I have gotten to a point, and I and I, I can't quite. I, I don't feel the movie. I don't see the movie, and I want to explore other things. And will you do that with me? And, and he was uh, kind enough to do that, and and we did it. I think it, you have to ask him if he's your buddy. I think it's the quickest he's ever worked. Yeah, I, I had not talked to him in a while, and then I realized he was a part of the project, and I emailed him immediately afterwards. I was like, "Dude, movie rocks. Good job." Yeah, Let's catch and up. and uh, and he was uh, he was. I love him. I love him to death. Yeah, love he's a fantastic death. writer. Yeah. Uh, as I said, uh, you know, I, I the the film hasn't really worked for me in the past. The, the previous versions, and I th- I think a huge part of it is the central male character. I've never really felt empathy for him. And that's what I thought you fixed. Uh, you know, just little things. I mean, you know, this debilitating ear condition. Uh, the real there's a real sense of warmth. I think you feel in him throughout, whereas he's always been kind of spiteful. Translated into that award show moment. That's always been such a bitter, spiteful moment for him. Here, it's just a tragic moment for him. Did you feel that these were elements that needed to be tweaked? Uh, it didn't. It didn't. And the, the end result is the same, but it didn't come out of wanting to fix something that yeah. I didn't like. It, again, it's just because I had these things I wanted to examine. And the male character was somebody who his injury is not narcissistic. You know, his injury is more about having not not, not having had the ability to cultivate other aspects of his life. Mm-hmm. And that he's what happens when somebody finds their voice, has something to say early on. People are telling them that it, it's 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 wonderful. And so he's cultivating that, and then that becomes his life source. And now he's 44 years old, and he's never dealt with anything. And how, is he sustain, how does he sustain himself? I, I like this idea of a guy who looks so much like a man. He's everything you'd want to be as a man when you're young. But he's a child. He's 13 years old. He's that moment that, that happened when his father died and his brother came back, and he had to spend that year with his dad sick. Um, that was the character I wanted to create. That character doesn't care about his fame being dwindling because that's not where he's found his his sense of worth. So then it means nothing to him. The idea of somebody eclipsing him, if he doesn't look at himself as 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 finding meaning on that level anyway, eclipse, eclipsing means nothing. So mm-hmm. right away, those, those two aspects are gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's much more about him trying to cultivate, trying to find a connection and seeing somebody and being re, re, uh, invigorated in his life and, and, and feeling things that maybe he hasn't been able to feel and finding a soulmate and, and not having the tools to do that, mm-hmm. uh, to, to actually to, to go on that road, that journey with that person, uh, because his, his journey is coming to an end. Mm-hmm. That, that was that character to me. So, yeah. you, so now implement that character into this structure 
and it's, there's going to be many. So the Grammy scene becomes what ha- that becomes. He's he thinks he thinks he's supporting her. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the whole thing. Yeah, he's not hijacking her speech at all. He's right. just he's planning to stand there next to her and support her. Mm-hmm. And that and that scene kills me. And even when I wrote it, I thought, oh my god. You know, and even when I said, look, I think he's going to have to pee himself, mm-hmm. you know, and that's like, is that's laughable. It's like, yeah, but that's just, it's just, I want him to hit him, his real bottom. And the thing that he'll feel is embarrassment for her, that mm-hmm. he somehow tainted her experience. That to me is moving. If I, if we can pull that off, me as a moviegoer, that's something I want to see. Yeah. And then ties it up with the rehab scene as well and, and just the breakdown and the crime. I mean, it's, yeah, this stuff is what, for me, made it finally sing and, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you didn't think they needed fixing, you know, that's understandable. But I just, I always felt like that, I don't know, I just always thought he was an asshole. And I just didn't care about him. And right. this time I cared deeply for him. Um, also regarding uh, what you were just talking about, the eclipsing of it all, I mean, I kind of wondered going in, how is a movie that in three iterations has been about a man overshadowed by a woman who kills himself and then she takes his name. How is that going to play in 2018? And I thought you navigated that well, too. I mean, was that something you had your eye on? Um, I, I, don't, I can't create art from a place of wondering how it's going to be received. It has yeah. to start for me from what story do I want to tell and how personal can I make it and make it as authentic as possible. And then, But I find that it, it stunts any sort of creativity if I'm trying to strategize how something's going to come across. The thing that I love about storytelling is the stories that I love feel very personal. Whether or not they are by the filmmaker, I have no idea. It doesn't really matter. But they affected me in a personal way. Mm-hmm. So I, so the only way that I could feel worthy enough to tell a story is if it feels something personal to me. She's just a character that I find very interesting. Mm-hmm. It's much more interesting for me to examine somebody who is 31 years old and is not an ingenue and has found that uh, her the things she wants to say, people are telling her she's not worthy of saying them. Mm-hmm. And then how people, and this is my experience, people can thrust you up above the whatever whatever hole you're in and say, no, no, you have worth. And they're not telling you something you don't already feel. They're just bolstering something that you feel inside of yourself. Mm-hmm. And that to me is interesting. So I never saw it as like he dies. She that that way you described it yeah. is not the story that I've tried to make. I right. mean, whether you feel that way, that's it's your movie now. But but that was not that that's not the road that I exa- tried to examine between the two yeah. of them. Well, I you think know? he transcended that. Is my point. I mean, the, the previous iterations that's been right. the vibe. So I, before seeing your version, I was like, well, how's that? How's that going to play? And again, I thought you definitely handled it. So. Maddie Libatique, yeah, who has a great cameo, by the way, in the movie, <laughs> along with half the crew. <laughs> yeah, uh, very interesting choice for a DP on a movie like this. Uh, I, I thought there was an incredible intimacy to the photography right out of the gate. Like right, on, you're on that stage with him. The way the the camera swirls around and meets him right here at the mic and starts on his back, really, which is really interesting as well. And the colors, I think about like the blue blue scene and stuff. It just talk about that the the visual. Uh, effect you were looking for? Did you guys like what kind of references might you have had? Anything sure. like that? Oh yeah, very specific. Um, the thing I loved about Maddie was uh, I was a big fan of Black Swan and Requiem for a Dream, uh, but really it was because Jennifer Lawrence had really. I asked her what she thought, and because uh, I was looking for a DP, um, I had such a specific vision of how I wanted to shoot everything, and specifically the concert stuff. Uh, that was one of the compositions I made a decision early on, and even told Warner Brothers. I said, "Look, I'm never going to be in this crowd, so I just want to, I want you guys to know that now. It's all going to be on the stage. It's all going to be subjective, and I'm going to give you scope. 
and intimacy at the same time. So when I met with him and he was kind of to meet with me in my house, I talked about primary colors, um, how I wanted each character to, to be defined by a color and then how that changes as the movie progresses, um, how I wanted to shoot it, uh, what aspect ratio, um, the, the concert stuff. And then I just said, you know, and, um, you know, the use of steady cam and handheld and dolly and how we're going to, how the, those are all going to play in various emotional points. Cause the movies that I love form always follows function. I'm never aware. If I'm aware of the camera movement while I'm watching the movie, the chances are, it's not uh, fueling the story. Mm-hmm. It's only in retrospect. Like, wow, how did that? How did that director make me feel like that? Oh wow, you know, Stanley Kubrick put golf clubs uh, in the same corner of the room as Tom Cruise, and then tennis rackets the same corner of the room as Nicole Kidman, and like she wants to have the relationship, but he's on his own. You know, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for all that mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I just love it. That's why I was so thrilled to be able to have a palette now to to make a movie with. Yeah. Um, and he was game for all of that. You know, fans. That was this thing, ceiling fans. And one of my favorite shots, not not my favorite, but a shot I really love is when they're in the diner in the Mexican restaurant. She's talking to him. We were able to get the reflection of the ceiling fan coming <laughs> off of the uh, the counter, the order counter right behind her. So she's not even aware of everything that this guy brings with him. You know, because that's eventually yeah. going to be the thing that symbolizes yeah. death. Um, stuff like that is very fun for me. Yeah. Um, and he, and to be able to work with such a, a master like him to achieve that was was wonderful. Yeah. And also, uh, you know, the editing. I, I'm a great fan of the editing because it, it it moves the story at a clip, but also just within sequences. Like, uh, you know, I'm thinking about when she starts to destroy the house at the end. And then you just cut to her in the middle of the mess. Just things like that, which I just think are great to, to because we don't need everything in between that happened, you know? And, and you do that in a number of different ways throughout the film. And your editor is Jay Cassidy, great editor. Uh, and Mike Acevedo also worked on oh, it, who's okay. incredible, who works with Jay. And I would met worked with him, I think I met him on, uh, yeah, Silver Linings. He was an assistant, assistant, assistant on Silver Linings. But I, I met Jay on Silver Linings Playbook and also on American Hustle and yeah. Joy and worked for many hours with him on those movies. And David was kind enough to let me be there with them. Uh, so he and I had gone through war together already for mm-hmm. uh, on other movies and so it was there was no question i wasn't gonna there were a couple of people i would not do the movie without i knew it's shelly ziegler who was the first ad who from baltimore and zan her second ad i thought there's no way i'm gonna make this movie without them for for 42 day schedule on a 38 million dollar budget there's no way i can get it done uh without them yeah. and jay cassidy was another one there's no way i'm gonna do this movie without him and all of that speaks to the uh the rhythm you were talking about earlier right i mean uh did you discover things in the edit? I mean, I guess oh. you always do, oh. but like anything, oh, yeah. anything profound oh. of note? Major. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, to me, the most – I love shooting. Uh, <clears throat> hate writing. It's hor- horrible. <laughs> it's wonderful because you have an unlimited budget and you can go anywhere in the world and <laughs> yeah. create new worlds if right. you want. So that's creatively uh, uh, exciting, but it is very hard. The shooting of it is fun because I love actors and I love uh, the creation of the film making within the moment of making it. Uh, but editing is the joyous part. Editing is when time really stops. I mean, you go down to an editing room and you come out and 14 hours have gone by and you cannot believe. And that's when you know you're having fun Yeah, is when <clears throat> you can't calibrate time anymore. Yeah. Um, so it's all about discovery. It's almost three separate pieces of artistic content, really, that I've discovered in this experience. The writing of the script is this wonderful process, and then at the end of it, you have the script. And that's, that, that is the piece of content. And then you have the shooting of the script, which is another artistic exercise. Yeah. And that is its own, that's its own piece of content. 
And then you have the editing, which is its own artistic um, uh, experience and creates its own piece of content. And I really do see them as three separate things. So at the beginning of each one, you've done all this work. You have all this thing that's going to support this new exploration. But this is a new exploration. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to throw everything away. If it doesn't work, it's not going to then magically work. Um, so I, I absolutely love editing. Yeah, you basically write your movie three times. That's right. That's what they say, yeah. Uh, we're going to pause here real quick. Uh, we've got more with Bradley coming up. I'll just have a quick word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Warner Brothers Pictures. Crazy Rich Asians, the critically acclaimed surprise hit of the summer, is now one of the most buzzed about films this award season. Critics everywhere agree Crazy Rich Asians is a phenomenon that has inspired and moved audiences and critics alike. Director John Chu redefined the romantic comedy genre with his thoroughly unexpected and genuinely relatable groundbreaking film. Entertainment Weekly calls Crazy Rich Asians hilarious, heartfelt, and historical. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone says, Crazy Rich Asians is making history. And Jake Coyle of the Associated Press says, Hollywood, this is what you've been missing. Crazy Rich Asians for your consideration in all categories, including Best Picture. Now available on DVD and Blu-ray. All right, we're back here with Bradley Cooper. Uh, I want to talk about the music now, uh, especially, you know, obviously the music that is hers in the film is fantastic, but I'm a huge fan of just the rowdy roadhouse kind of rock that, that your band that you got Promise of the Real and Lucas Nelson in to do. It's got this, like, uh, it's like a rowdy Ryan Bingham kind of mm. vibe to me, I guess. Uh, talk to me about that, because I want to know, like, is that kind of your taste in music is did you explore other potential genres of music for this character to be a part of like how did the musical identity complete come uh, evolution oh yeah i mean i'm a huge i'm a fan of very different types of music so this i wouldn't say that this is my taste in music it is a taste uh, of mine in music but no i explored everything from him being much more um before I found his speaking voice, that that really determined a lot of what the bandwidth was going to be with his singing voice. Um, but but prior to that, when Jackson wasn't created yet, and I was writing the script, I was uh, thinking about uh, totally other different genres of music, much more sort of um, not 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 heavily guitar uh, oriented, potentially almost more like Coldplayish kind of thing, and then maybe it was more grunge, and then it was maybe it was, then we went so country, and then and then. Really, it was just by the sheer doing of it and uh, learning to sing and playing with Lucas in my basement for hours and hours and hours and then starting to actually write songs uh, and, and melodies and everything. Um, Jackson was kind of born. It was, it was really a very organic process that was the uh, result of a lot of people's hard work from Mark Ronson, who I had worked with very early on, and then um, Lucas Nelson, obviously, uh, Dave Cobb, who was kind enough to come and meet with me, and I talked to him about it. And re- he really, I mean, the double pick uh, guard on his acoustic is Dave Cobb's idea. The Green Gibson's Dave Cobb's idea. I love that guitar. 2016, yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he was wonderful. He introduced me to so many great musicians via text. Uh, Jason Isbell and Sturgill Simpson and um, Brandy Carlisle, who I'm just obsessed with. Her latest album is just the greatest. Um and and Jason Isbell sent a demo called Maybe It's Time. And when I heard that, I thought, oh, my gosh. And uh, and that, that really was one of the first anchors to Jackson's music. 
Yeah. Uh, I think Chris Cornell had an olive green Gibson. So when I saw that you were you oh, had that in the movie, wow. I, I was like, oh, nice. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, it's like really they've got like a Chris Cornell special edition wow, that's really Gibson guitar. Uh, what, what kind of... Like, how good were you at guitar? Before Not good you, at all. Yeah. No, no. Because I know you, you put a ton of work in. I put into a ton this, of work so. in. And it really, the most of the work was just learning how to be able to finger everything and strum everything. So I, I never wanted to do like a cut of hands and then a cut of his face right. or like do some sort of head replacement. Like, there's just, I didn't want to do any of that because yeah. I felt like I'm the only one who's going to be able to, because how he plays the guitar is such a part of who he is. Yeah. Um, so I knew that I just had to make it believable, uh, and so I spent tons of time on with the guitar with and Lucas Nelson, and he and I spent hours and hours coming up with that sound. Um, and I heard melodies of guitar solos in my mind, and I would vocally sing them to them, and he would play them, and then that's how we would come up with everything. So what you hear is his dubbed over guitar, except for a couple acoustic moments. It's me, and uh, and it, but it's me playing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just the other day trying to find uh, the Black Eyes riff in my garage. That's an awesome song. Yeah. I mean, I just, there's a simplicity to it. Very right? simple. Like, oh, yeah. It's, it's, no, I mean, it's heavily influenced by Neil Young is the influence for the guitar, yeah. period. Yeah. That, you know, it's he, a guy who can play one note 18 times, and you're like, that's the best guitar solo I've ever heard. <laughs> totally. <laughs> that's it. Um, <clears throat> let's see. You shot all over my side of town, by the way. I'm in Eagle Rock. Oh, wow. So, like, you know. The Memphis scene, I, I knew where that was. That's so funny. <laughs> and uh, the Super A down the street. Yeah, that's hilarious. Uh, I, I, I love that. It gives it a, 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 for people here anyway, it gives it kind of an interesting uh, flavor and identity. Uh, those environments, like what what were you thinking in terms of that, in terms of placing this drama in an environment? Uh, you shot all over L.A., so uh, you might have expected a movie like this wouldn't be shot here. I don't know. but Yeah, it's a very good question. And again, in the writing process, originally I wanted this idea of it to start in New York and they move out west and all of a sudden he goes to the sea. And that's sort of when his death was him dying like James Mason did. Right. Um, and then, the, and then, in terms of shooting in LA, it's it's a it's a big thing because you know LA's been shot so wonderfully in so many movies from Chinatown to um, to uh, Collateral. You know, it's 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 you, you know it's like okay if I'm going to make LA a character as much as it can be. So really, that part of town to me was unexplored in a lot of ways. Yeah, and uh, wasn't La La Land California also? Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. they also had just nailed it. Yeah, uh, uh, in terms of setting. Um, and so then it really became about and Karen Murphy, who's an incredible production designer, and the and the uh, and the um, the other gentleman who was the scout was incredible finding places. Mm -hmm. It was really about. It, it, then it just started to stem from story. I wanted to have them on the little dividers in the car in a parking lot at four in the morning, and I wanted the Rite Aid, even though it's not called the Rite Aid. We didn't find a Rite Aid, but originally in my mind, it's like it's a Rite Aid <laughs> uh, uh, because I wanted the uh, anyway. But I want it to be like the like a stage, so that when she gets up, it's literally like it uh, looks yeah. like you're at a massive concert. Mm -hmm. um, so then it's like, okay, that's what I want. So how do we find it? I wanted Jackson's house to be almost an idea or an image of where you think he came from in Arizona. This idea of just like nothing, everything's sort of natural. Everything's natural. You know that he could sort of hibernate there. He's mm -hmm. almost like an animal or it like feels a organic. Child. Yeah, yeah organic. Yeah, yeah. So so then we found that place. Uh, the Virgil, which is where we shot the uh, drag bar, that was I wanted a place to feel like the place the blue because I called it the blue blue, which is the same place, the same name as the bar that Mason walks into to find Judy Garland, mm -hmm. and I wanted that feeling inside, but remade. So it was all came from story. Mm -hmm. It was like here's the idea of this thing I want, and then so then we went and found it. I think you could almost do like a walking tour of 
locations. Yeah, for, yeah, for we the were. Stars, I, we ne- there was not one day on the, in the studio. That's amazing. Yeah, I actually had. And then we went to real places. I mean, that's the Forum, that's mm-hmm. the Shrine, that's Glastonbury, that's Stagecoach. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. even though the Greek is supposed to be Northern California. Yeah, I actually had Sam on the show uh, last year for the Hero, uh, and he was in the middle of shooting at, at the time, and he was stoked to be in L.A. shooting a movie right. like that, you know. And by the way, speaking of Sam, I, I literally, I don't have a question here. I just wrote Sam Elliott <laughs> because, you know, it's Sam Elliott. It's yeah. like he's he delivered my favorite line of any movie in Roadhouse, the uh, Big White Mint line. Do you know what I'm talking about? What does about? he say? He says that place is so hardcore they have to hang a sign in the bathroom that says don't eat the Big White Mint, <laughs> which I just killed me. I don't me. remember that Every, line, oh my and, God. I, and I'm obsessed with that movie. Oh, my God. It's so good. It's when he's on the phone with him before he comes into town. Right. But, uh, you know, I love the fact that you found this organic, interesting way for why you sound the way you sound. And when he says, why'd you take my voice? And just, these, again, these little elements that are very story-driven. But uh, was Sam the guy in your mind from the beginning? For, well, not from the beginning, beginning. Uh, there wasn't even that his manager was his brother. Mm-hmm. It was only until I started uh, um, trying to, to learn how to speak like Sam Elliott, not knowing he was going to be in it yet or even create the character Bobby. And then it was simultaneously reading Bruce Springsteen's autobiography, and he talked about stealing his father's voice. And again, mm, talking about how can I make it personal? How is something so I don't have to act it? I used to always want to be my father when I was a kid, and I was like, oh, this makes sense. Because this is Jackson has this trauma. I always knew this thing I wanted to do. I didn't want to have the father there, but you know the father without him being a character. And that's why the age difference between me and Sam I had to solve. Because I, I once I was like, Sam Elliott's his brother. Well, people are going to go like, well, why isn't he his dad? Mm. You know, so then we come up with the story of, you know, the mother dying. And it's like, cause, because that's something that happens all the time. There's mm-hmm. differences in ages. So you just have to justify it. Yeah. Because I remember we tested the movie without that scene the, when he's explaining to Allie. Mm-hmm. And so many of the comments were, I don't understand why he's not his dad. <laughs> and yeah, he, it's interesting. Sense. It's interesting. You're like, yeah. I'm like, oh, man, I was right. We yeah. do need it. Yeah. Uh, the scene when he throws the truck in reverse, I mean, I mm. think that makes everybody cry. And he doesn't say a word. He's just backing up his yeah. truck and he's got tears in his eyes. I just, I'm curious about directing that scene. Sure. Um, uh, did it take a number of whatever? That was the first take. To, that was the first that take. Was the first take. Wow. I think we did it twice. Maybe we did it three times. And that's I, all that it was ever going to be was he throws it in reverse? Always, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean I, I, I'm... And I learned this from Derek C. in France, who's really wonderful. Uh, I did a place, a movie called Place Beyond the Pines. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever saw I that. I loved it. But One of my yeah, favorite movies that year. It's really great. He's a great director. And he really is. You know, that scene when my character goes to the his buddy's baseball uh, practice, mm-hmm. uh, I literally, this the shot started by me pulling into the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. walking all the way. <laughs> right. Finally, we both looked at each other because we were shooting two perf, and it was like, it wasn't even on video, <laughs> digital. And I was like... I think I think I, I think I got it. We could just start it off camera. <laughs> right. um, but the more you could put create, place your actors in an environment that that they don't have to act and they could use all of their surroundings, uh, the better. And I love shooting two cameras at the same time. And I and that's also part of these are two characters that have hidden from things about themselves. So, you know, you're in terms of you said about starting on Jackson's back. You're always he's always avoiding the camera the whole movie until eventually he can't anymore. And the camera's literally you know Scott Sakamoto is like this yeah. over me and on the bed, um, and with Sam too. So I always wanted those French overs. You, you know, we, I didn't even shoot it this way or out the windows. Always it was two cameras, mm-hmm. and so it was Maddie and Scott Sakamoto in the back of the the, the pickup, and we went for a ride around for about ten minutes. And then pulled in. I says, "We're going to go for a ride. We're going to do the scene. We can do the scene a couple of times as we're driving, and then and then filming it. 
And because it was a longer scene mm-hmm. that I cut down, there was talking about Bobby's the woman he used to live with who got breast cancer. There's a whole there's a whole thing that we cut out. Um, so they go on this ride, and then I said, "Then we're going to pull up, and I'm going to get out." And the only thing I just don't want you to get out of the truck. That's that's it. I think that's the only thing I told him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had another camera inside the garage on a uh, on dolly track that was going back for when Jackson leaves, which I didn't use. Um, and uh, and then the other thing I just talked to the camera operator. I was like, once I leave, just Maddie's going to go down to the ground, and then Scott's just going to stay on Sam. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. And that was it. It's an amazing moment in the movie. Uh, and how difficult was it to nail down that voice, by the way? I Very mean, hard. Take a lot of Impossible. time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, t- like... it, took, it took months and months and months. Because it's, it's one thing that it's not like – because you start out by mimicking it, and then it has to be as natural as me talking to you now because you have to be open and, and present. Otherwise, it's pointless. Mm-hmm. You're just doing a a sort of you know a superficial sketch of the voice. Mm-hmm. But you as the viewer have to feel like – it has to not even feel like you have to know that what is for me is the person – and which is that's just my voice, mm-hmm. you know, in that moment as Jackson. Did you have to like? I, don't know. Oh, I worked with this guy Tim Monick, an incredible dialect coach. We worked for four hours, five days a week for months and months and months, and learning what is the actual, how does air work through Sam's mouth? You know what I mean? It's really it's it's fascinating. <laughs> fascinating Where does the tongue yeah. sit? You know what I mean? What's the rhythm? You know, uh-huh. it's really crazy. Was it like? something that you maintain did you shake it easily at the end of the day like what um i would do exercises every morning on my way to work uh and i kind of stayed in that voice kind of the all working day and then it would kind of go away at the end mm-hmm. sometimes but but my voice definitely changed um uh, during that process i'm sure like chris kyle i kind of stayed in the voice the whole time i was shooting leaving off camera in some weird way uh but this one i would go in and out but but um but i would spend the day pretty much and then in, in it and like the grammy scenes certain scenes where he's messed up you know i would sort of stay in that uh, but the crew everybody sort of got it and it didn't i don't think it hindered the process at all but mm-hmm. it was just easier for me to do it that way yeah lady gaga uh, her performance is interesting to me there's there's these moments that aren't like refined actor moments and i think that adds so much to the naturalism of her like i'm thinking about when she's talking to you uh in the dressing room for mm-hmm. instance like there's like a there's like a quiver in her voice there's just there which maybe she's like nailing exactly what you wanted but it to me it felt like it was one of those unrefined moments that really worked and i'm just curious like Finding the performance with her, what was that back and forth like? And, you know, is my read on it correct? You know, just what, what do you think? I mean, my hope is that you felt that about Dave Chappelle and Sam Elliott and Anthony Ramos, uh, all, all everybody, mm-hmm. yeah. that everybody felt like they weren't acting. Mm-hmm. Um, she was doing exactly what I wanted to do, which was like play the circumstance, which is this guy walks in, you saw this, you already feel this way about yourself as an artist, as mm-hmm. it is, and you're, but you're also very tough and where you come from. And he's in this space and, you know, these people are attracted to each other and, you know, but they're both injured. And all of these things, uh, so to me, and and then and then she just lives it, and mm-hmm. uh, and I and the one thing I promised her and everybody else is, I, only thing I could tell you is there won't be one frame of you on up there in the final version of the movie that I don't believe, you know. And uh, what you saw, I, I believe it. I don't believe she's acting refined; she's just being real. Yeah, and I exactly. hope that I feel that about everybody. Well, you, know? you do, you do. I, I wanted to spotlight her in particular, though, because you know. We haven't seen her like yeah. that. Obviously. Oh, she's incredible. I mean, I mean so. she was, uh, she, and her willingness to put the work in mm-hmm. was very admirable. We spent, I, I postponed the movie two months just so she and I can work, could work on our characters together. And the, I mean, she's a bit very busy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. Her willingness to put all that work in was, uh, 
thank God. Yeah. Let's talk for, about for me too, for Jackson, for us to get together and, and to really be able to uh, to live these scenes and to have the filming process of the movie be as creative as it was. How did you find uh, directing yourself? Um, I think, by the way, that your work is uh, the best performance of the year. I, I think that what you've done here is fantastic. And, uh, you know, I'm left wondering, you know, it's a directorial debut and you're directing yourself. Uh, was that a challenge? Just tell me about that. Thank you. Um, well, the one great thing is that um, being, being able to direct the movie that I'm acting in is that I've been doing this for 20 years, so I know I, I definitely am aware of what I need in order to feel safe enough to really take a leap of faith um, and really risk. So the fact that I was the person that was able to create that environment to do that made it very easy then to act in it because it was mm -hmm. everything that I want as an actor. Mm -hmm. And then my hope is that every other actor that was in that environment also felt that because, you know, I've been in very various types of environments that that create uh, different energies and, and, and I've learned what that does to observing other actors and what it feels like, well, what they could be capable of and not doing or when they flourish. Um, so it was a real asset that I was able to, um, to create the environment that I want to work in. Mm -hmm. What else do you want to make? I mean, do you have anything that's kind of burning that you want to make? Are you eager to make like directing a bigger part of your career than acting even? Uh, I mean, how do you feel? The same way I've always felt, which is um, – well, no, no, that's not true. That's not true at all, actually. No, the one thing I do feel about this after this experience is that um, I feel like I, I can do it, that I could take an idea or a feeling or a sensation or a series of thoughts and compositions and, and hone them and ask a group of artists to come together and tell a story. I feel like I succeeded in doing that. So that's all I want to do. Mm -hmm. um, that's all I've ever really wanted to do. I just knew I wasn't ready to do it. Um, and then the question becomes, well, what is there something to say? You know, what what, what is there? I mean, I, I, when this movie ended, I knew it's all I ever want to do. But I don't know if I'll ever find a story that I know that I need to tell. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have found one. I don't. I can't talk about it yet, just because I don't. We'll see. Mm -hmm. But but yes, I have found something that'll probably be another four years of my life. Mm -hmm. um, but. I feel so lucky that I feel something that I feel so passionate about. You think you're more in love with that than acting? I don't see them as um, – well, uh, I've always been in love with that more than acting. Yeah. It's not a new thing. Yeah, sure. You know, and, and I've always walked on sets and the thing that fascinates me is the making of a movie. Mm -hmm. Always. Um, so I was able to be on those sets as an actor. Like that's what got me in the door, right? Mm -hmm. But I've always once I got into the world, I want to learn how the world works mm -hmm. because these are the things that I observed as a kid. Movies moved me, mm -hmm. performance in movies, but the movies. Um. So so yes. Yeah. Well, I look forward to whatever you got next. Last thing I want to ask, just a completely different subject, uh, the Mule. I'm just. You know, looking forward to this movie. Uh, Clint Eastwood, you're in it as well. Uh, second movie for you this year. What can you tell me about it, man? I'm looking forward to it. So. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm looking great. forward to see it. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, um, but uh, I would do anything with Clint. Yeah. You know, and um, it, there's a, you know, I was able to be with Lawrence Fishburne's and Michael Pena, uh, Fishburne and Michael Pena. Uh, so that was a thrill. Um, it's a small role. The DAA agent who's uh, finding, who's going after the Clint's character. 
Um, but yeah, if he asked me to open up a door in a movie, I'd say, you know, what day of the week am I there? <laughs> Get to be a little cleaner cut in that one too than uh, yeah. Star is Born yeah. as well. Well, uh, everyone should check out A Star is Born if you're not one of the many who haven't. Uh, it's still in theaters. It's still making money. It'll be on Blu-ray DVD at some point, and hopefully we'll be talking about it for a long time to come. Again, I think it's one of the best movies of the year, so congrats, man. Thank you. And Thanks th- for talking. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank I really appreciate it. Yeah. Once again, this episode of Playback has been brought to you by Warner Brothers Pictures. Crazy Rich Asians, the critically acclaimed surprise hit of the summer, is now one of the most buzzed-about films this award season. Critics everywhere agree Crazy Rich Asians is a phenomenon that has inspired and moved audiences and critics alike. Director John Chu redefined the romantic comedy genre with his thoroughly unexpected and genuinely relatable groundbreaking film. Entertainment Weekly calls Crazy Rich Asians hilarious, heartfelt, and historical. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone says Crazy Rich Asians is making history. And Jake Coyle of the Associated Press says, Hollywood, this is what you've been missing. Crazy Rich Asians, for your consideration in all categories, including Best Picture. Now available on DVD and Blu-ray.